You're listening to the teaching of Doxa Church. Doxa is located in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Today's sermon is for all of us who've ever heard the phrase, hang in there, and just wanted to scream. It's sad enough to observe an athlete who has worked so hard their entire life to push their body and sacrifice pleasures to become the best they can be, only to suffer a devastating career-ending injury. But it's even more heartbreaking to personally be on the receiving end of one of the sucker punches that life in this fallen world will deliver. What do you do when that happens to you? And even if life is great right now, it doesn't stay great always and forever. This side of eternity, the reality is there will be seasons when you find yourself crushed and ready to give up. So what do you do? Just suck it up? Grin and bear it and slowly become jaded? Become consumed with fear and worry? Play all the what-ifs over and over in your mind until you become frozen? Maybe you just play it safe and take every path that involves the least amount of risk. You think that would work out? Or do you just attempt to drown your sorrow with food or escape into addiction and create a vicious cycle of more pain and suffering? Well, today in 2 Corinthians 4, you're going to see a path to not losing heart. This chapter started with the phrase, do not lose heart, in verse 1. 2 Corinthians 4.1, two weeks ago we covered the first six verses, which dealt with how you relate to others. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word with underhanded, disgraceful ways. We speak the truth of God's word openly, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of Christ. And it is not we ourselves who we proclaim, but Christ Jesus as Lord. Verse 16 of the same chapter ends with the exact same phrase, do not lose heart. And the second half of this chapter goes beyond our connections with others and deals with our hearts, personally. The path to not losing heart is seeing God's purpose through the pain. And there are three points in this passage, but this is very important. Here you go. Get this, they are not formulaic. As a matter of fact, if you strictly force this into a three-step process, it's going to be very clunky, clunky, and it's not going to work very well for most of us. So I'm going to read this passage with you, and, and I want you to follow along with me. And then instead of starting in verse 7 and working through the text verse by verse like we normally would do, we're going to look at the big picture, see that the best is yet to come, even when you can't see the immediate, and then from there work backwards to exactly what you do in the moment when you don't feel like you can just hang in there. So please read with me as I start in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, 
persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that his grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. To see God's purpose through the pain, you must zoom out. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We are starting at the end of the chapter. And we're going to trace it back to the immediate. And I think you'll see why by the end. So the first point today in our unformulaic passage is to number one, look through the lens of the eternal unseen. Verses 16 through 18. Look through the lens of the eternal unseen. I just have to tell you, 2 Corinthians 4 verses 16 through 18 It's one of my favorite passages in all of God's word. For we do not lose heart. For though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. For we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal. Things which are not seen are eternal. When I was 21 years old, I spent an entire summer reading the book of 2 Corinthians. It was the summer of 2005. And, and every time I picked up scripture, I was if I was picking up the Bible, I just decided that's what I was going to do. I was going to read through this book. And there's so much gold in this epistle. So many amazing principles and verses and thoughts. But verses 16 through 18 are the ones that resonated with me the most. As a 21-year-old who was figuring out how I was going to plan and prepare for the rest of my life, I just couldn't get what Paul said here out of my mind. So much so that for the last 16 years of my life, these verses have been embedded into the decisions that I make. So I say that to let you know, this is very personal for me. When I was 21 and I first discovered this truth, life was fun. I had a lot of friends. I had hobbies. I didn't have too many pressures or huge responsibilities on my shoulders yet. My outer self was still peaking. I hadn't, hit, I hadn't hit that physical point of gradually slowing down, wherever that is. I'm watching my body slowly fade down the proverbial hill, as I have now. I mean, I could eat anything I wanted, and I was going to burn it off. Now the days of the reality that my outer self is wasting away hits a little closer to home. But besides that, what still matters back then and it matters now is that my inner self still has the opportunity to be renewed day by day, just like it does for you. Whether you're 16, 21, 41, or 61, 
So we all have the need, the same overarching message that this passage is teaching, and to be and it's to begin to look at your life like Paul looks at himself in verses 7 through 9. If we went procedural right now and, and forced this into a rigid step-by-step process, what do verses 7 through 12 say? Well, the message is you are a jar of clay, but you're a jar of clay with a treasure inside. That's a revolutionary idea on its own, but it gets even more wild by saying that you carry the death of Jesus, and through your mortal life, even though death and affliction is at work in us, through all of that, we can show the life of Jesus. A lot of people begin with that and they barely advance any further. They find Jesus and then they just start trying really hard to be good, to shine light in the midst of suffering. But if it begins and ends there, it's going to get frustrating. And then when we see Paul's testimony that he is afflicted but not crushed, perplexed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, you're like, where's that for me? That's not working for me. I am crushed right now. I am perplexed and I'm being driven to despair. Why don't I have what Paul had? I don't feel that same testimony. And eventually you end up shaking your head and sometimes even raising your fist. Just gutting it out and laboring through stuff, numbing the pain or ignoring the root of the problem, just managing the effects. There's a lot of things that you can do in your own strength, but it doesn't work forever. So this is where we want to get to, and we're going to work backwards to this. But before we fully dive into verses 7 through 12, we're first going to talk about looking at life through the correct lens. In verses 16 through 18, the path to not losing heart involves zooming out and realizing that this present life is called a light momentary affliction. Now listen, Paul is not downplaying the reality of suffering here. This man knows what it's like to be shipwrecked and beaten with rods, to be whipped and scourged by Roman soldiers. He was imprisoned multiple times. He had threats on his life constantly. So what you are dealing with isn't unforeseen. What you're dealing with is not being trivialized. Loneliness is hard. Having your dreams crawl along to the point that you don't know if it will ever click, that isn't easy. Making mistakes and dealing with the ongoing consequences, being hurt by someone you love. These afflictions are heavy. They are real. And Paul is not minimizing that. But in comparison to what's to come for every individual who knows Christ, that's the key. In comparison, they are light with what is to come. The weight of the glory that is to come. Right now, it's temporal. It's temporary compared to something that is eternal. And it could very well be a lifelong affliction from birth all the way till death. But compared to eternity, it's a speck of dust. It's a vapor that appears and then vanishes as quickly as you see it. The future for a son and daughter of Christ contains no more death, no more sickness, no more tears. God will make all things new. The dwelling place of God will be with man. Christ will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Those struggling with a broken body or mental limitations will suffer no more and be made new. There will be no more night and the effects of sin will be completely erased. In the new earth, we will see him face to face. We will have eternity of, of discovery and creativity in the new earth. 
that, that has the veil of darkness completely removed. So what we now see is temporal, but the unseen is eternal. Buildings rise and fall. Our bodies are fading away. Like I said, wherever that peak is, I don't know where exactly that age is, where we slowly start to coast downhill. I know I'm past it. I'm not getting strong. I'm not getting any stronger or faster. I'm not getting any younger in this life. But we don't have to live for that either. You don't have to live for what you can see and hold in this life. The jobs, the toys, the properties, you can't take any of that with you into eternity. All of the things that you can see, the things that you can physically measure and weigh are transient. So you have to ask yourself, why should I be living for those things? What matters at your funeral isn't how much wealth you've amassed or how much fun you had. It's how much you impacted others. The unseen feelings and impressions and challenges and comforts. You can't see them. They're invisible but they mean so much more than anything money can buy. My wife Julie was talking with a friend this week, and she has a little boy Beckham's age. Beckham was on a play date with him since it was spring break, and this mom adopted a child a little bit later in life. So a little older than Julie and I, but before she adopted and before she ever had kids, she had everything money could buy, anything she wanted that she could touch and see. She would just reach out and grab it. She would fly to New York City from Spartanburg to New York, go shopping and spend 10 grand on a weekend. And she just shared with Julie that life was so empty. The things that we can't physically see, the bond in a human relationship, the beauty of love, you can't measure or handle wisdom or see the physical reality of an experience, but those are the things that carry eternal weight. So if you want to see God's purpose through the pain, you must zoom out of the moment, look beyond what you can see and touch right now, and look at life through the lens of the eternal unseen. Second piece here is found in verses 13 through 15. It's the source and the motivation. How is any of this eternity talk even possible? Read with me verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Seeing God's purpose through the pain and not losing heart must involve, number two, holding on to the one who raises the dead. Hold on to the one who raises the dead. Even memories fade, right? The opinions of friends don't matter as much as you think they do. And as bad as it can get right now, by God's grace and mercy, it's not going to last forever. And we could go to the extreme right here. If you have a parent who is gone, or if you have a husband, or a wife, or a child that's gone, you still have a faithful God who is holding on to you even when you feel like you are losing your grip. In verse 13 right here, Paul is quoting Psalm 116. 
And I want to give you the full context, so I will read the first 10 verses of this psalm. This is what Paul's looking to. As he's writing this psalm, he probably had, or excuse me, as he's writing this letter, he probably had Psalm 116 memorized. This is what he said. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of the grave lay hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. Paul is saying in this passage now in 2 Corinthians that we have the same spirit of faith. We look to the same God. We must look to the God of our salvation. And the only way we can see God's power in the midst of our suffering is by looking What does verse 14 say? What do you look to? Look to the resurrection. Look at verse 14 there. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. You have to look to the word of God, the promises that are there. That's what Paul is doing and that's what he's telling us. He did and we need to do. Without that, you can be completely lost. Have you ever tried to drive somewhere and just gotten absolutely lost? Anyone younger than me probably hasn't. (laughs) The older millennials like me who are the first generation to ever use MapQuest and print off directions from a desktop computer, um, you know, we were like that bridge in between the old world and the new world. You know, my my parents, you know, many of our parents... Uh, never, never messed with that. You know, we were basically that transition. But I can really remember, even as a kid, I didn't think much of it at the time, at the time but my dad would, would drive our family from Connecticut to Atlanta in a big old Chevy Caprice. And my dad, you know, flipping around this giant Atlas map, putting it over his steering wheel. Like he would go from state to state, just flipping pages on a map. Nothing else plugged in. I... I just, I have to say, now I look back at that and that respect, it's a man's man right there. But there was a few years in the transition period, you know, with MapQuest, before everybody had a GPS on their phone, where we would, thought we thought we were fancy by just printing out step-by-step directions. And you had this big eight and a half, and ele- eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, if you, if you dropped that and it fell on the floorboard, then you were in trouble. Or if it was night and it was really dark, or maybe a sign was bent a little bit, you couldn't quite tell what direction the fork in the road was going. If you did all this, you could easily still miss a turn. And nowadays, I mean, you just have, if you make a wrong turn, you're immediately notified you made a wrong turn. And it's, like, I'll correct that. Back then, you didn't know. And, and you had to basically figure it out uh, either 
either by someone telling you or seeing the wrong sign or, or something. It, it wasn't as easy. If you were just like me sometimes, just listening to your music, enjoying life, you could drive way far away from your destination. There was a time when I was trying to drive to Brevard, North Carolina. I almost ended up in Cowpen, South Carolina. I just had no clue. You need landmarks. You need, you need something when you're in unfamiliar territory. So if you are lost, you have one of two options. You could stop at a gas station and talk to someone local, or you could pull out a map. It was always the worst, though, when you would talk to someone else who also had no clue where you were trying to go. And often, spiritually speaking, that's the reality of our world today. The blind are leading the blind in so many ways. Your directions have to be based off of an accurate roadmap. What is true north? And Paul is, is saying here that he went back to the word of the Lord. The word of God that we have in our hands, that's the roadmap. It's something that we can rely on. In this psalm, Psalm 116, Paul found a road marker. The psalmist believed in the promises of God, and then he spoke them out loud. That's the same thing Paul is doing. What is Paul speaking out loud about? He's He's speaking right now, specifically in this context, about the risen Christ, shining the light in the darkness, the aroma of Christ. But he opened his mouth really about the same thing that we see from Psalm 116, the grace and the mercy of God. Paul did this because he believed in the resurrection. And knowing the end should change how you live in the present. When you are in dark moments, you can hold on to the same God who raises the dead. He raised his son, Jesus Christ. And because that's true, we know he will also raise us. Knowing the end should change how you live in the present. I don't know about you, but I used to watch a lot of sports on TV. I don't watch nearly as much anymore, but there was a time when I would be glued to the screen. I mean, I would get ready. I would pregame prep an hour before. I was into those games. My heart would be faster. I would be nervous if my team was in the lead. I didn't want them to blow it. How bizarre would it be to watch a rerun of a game, of a game already knowing your team won, and still sweat out every bad play and watch your voice rise at every terrible call by the referee with, with just stress and anxiety? That would never happen. We know the final score. Jesus rose. Death is defeated. It may get worse right now before it gets better, but in the end, in this light momentary affliction, it's preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. We know that this is true because of the resurrection, and his grace is extending to more and more people as it increases thanksgiving to the glory of God. If you believe in the resurrection and you know Christ, you know how this all ends. And knowing that makes all the difference in how we face the present and deal with our temporary suffering. So just analyze yourself. Am I making decisions with this truth at the center of my motivation? The promise of the resurrection should be influencing your daily decisions. The promises in God's word all find their yes in Jesus Christ. The scripture is also more than a roadmap. It's a revelation of the character of our creator. It's the greatest redemptive love story ever told. And at the center of it all is the cross and the empty tomb. And the more you meditate on the truth of the gospel, the more wood you are throwing on the fire of your faith. 
So maybe you're trying to make a decision right now. It's not an incredibly black and white like decision, like obey God's word and commit to a local church. Put yourself in a Jesus community. It's not obviously right or wrong. It's something a little bit more difficult. Maybe it's who to date or, or what to study or new career path decision. If you are making these decisions with the world as your final home, and you're making these decisions based on what you can handle and touch and see right now in this moment as the be-all, end-all, you're not going to be making the best decisions. And you may not feel the results right away, but over time and over the years, every single one of those daily decisions add up. We have one life, and life is short. Holding on to the one who raises the dead is going to put everything in perspective for you. So you can get out there and take risks and be ambitious. I mean, why not? What do you have to lose? Absolutely nothing. God will provide your needs. When you take bold steps of faith, he uses you. You are fully loved by a God who will one day raise you up from the dead. Live to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what matters. Be confident in the resurrection because that's where your motivation comes from. So to see God's purpose through the pain, you have to zoom out, you have to focus on the eternal unseen, but you can't do that if you don't have the power and the promise of the resurrection. So are you starting to see why these are not formulaic? These are intertwined. They feed off of each other. And there's one more piece to it all, verses 7 through 12. Let's read those together. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. So the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Third point today is manifest the life of Jesus through your affliction. There's so much left to unpack here. We've already covered that the best is yet to come. We've seen how we can be confident through the resurrection and now we are finally ready to hone in on seeing God's purpose through your pain. One question I haven't covered yet. Something I left out from the first point back in verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So how does the pain of this life prepare us for the unseen glories of eternity. If that question is still lingering in your mind, it's now going to be answered. So let's break this down one component at a time. First of all, we have a treasure. The treasure that this is talking about is not us. It's not us as, as humans. There are other passages of Scripture that talk about Humans being made in the image of God. We are the pinnacle of his creation. You are treasured by God. He designed you. He loves you. But in this context, the treasure is exactly what he just mentioned in verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. 
For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's our ministry of sharing the gospel. The the treasure is the good news that Jesus came for sinners. He died for our sins. He offers salvation through redemption, through his blood. And that's our story to tell. So we all have this treasure in jars of clay. We are the jars of clay. In this analogy, humans are not the treasure. We are the jar of clay. Now you may find this odd on a number of levels. Number one being that I thought we were stronger, more valuable than that. And secondly, why would you put a treasure in a jar of clay? A clay jar is the cheapest, most easily breakable piece of pottery or container you could think of. I mean, it basically still is. One drop and it's going to break. Even the cheapest glasses at Target are more solid than that. So something of infinite value is placed into something that would be considered easily broken or dispensable. Why? Why would you store something that precious and valuable, the gospel of Jesus Christ, into something that's so unreliable? Like, and, and, and easily, easily broken? Humans. Verse 7 tells us, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's never about us. It's about Him. And this is how God has always worked. He uses the weak things of this world to confound the wise. Through weak, unstable, prone-to-wander individuals like you and me, He transforms us with His power, and He shapes us and molds us into someone who is bold and confident and fearless. He takes us as as he finds us and he transforms us with the Holy Spirit into something who is more like his son, Jesus Christ. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. His strength is displayed through our weakness. This is perplexing, I know. But stick with me here. What is this about carrying in our bodies, in our mortal flesh, the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested? What does it mean to be given over to death for Jesus' sake? Do you see this in verse 10, 11, and 12? So death is at work in us, but life in you? So let's define death in this context. This is very important. None of this is going to make any sense if you don't see this right here. Verse 10 makes a very clear link back to everything he just explained in verse 8 and 9. Verses 8 and 9. The word death here is a summary for the affliction we face in this present life. So the death that Paul is talking about from his own testimony, the pain, the suffering, the perplexion, why God? It's dealing with the effects of sin on this earth, the ministry of death, which we saw from a couple, like chapter 3. Real life that's not shiny and glam, but dark and grim. That death that's at work in Paul and and his ministry companions is life to you. It's life to the Corinthians. Your suffering is a platform to display God's transformational, life-giving power. That's what he's saying. This is telling you, That God's power is on display through your suffering. Now, this isn't probably the news you wanted to hear. I'm going to suffer. 
Great. Thanks for reminding me, David. <laughs> Look, you already knew that. And the sooner you accept the reality that in this fallen world, we will suffer, the sooner you realize that, the better. We all suffer at times and go through pain because of the fall. Christianity isn't a faith that denies that reality and sells you on a pipe dream that all your problems will go away when you come to Jesus. That's not it at all. But faith in Jesus Christ does offer a reason why there's pain and suffering. And it does offer hope out of the pain and suffering. That's a lot better than just dealing with it and sucking it up or pretending it's not there. So how does this work? Let me, let me give you a real-life example. True story. Jenny is a Christian. She's a college student. She's a joy to be around. She's generous and thoughtful and funny, the kind of girl that guys want to be with. Katie is her roommate. She knows about Christ, but she's never repented of living her life apart from God her way, never given her life over to Jesus Christ. Well, Jenny, the, the, the brilliant girl with the bright future, she gets a diagnosis. It's cerebral palsy. It's incredibly sad to see this young, vibrant woman go through something so life-altering, such debilitating news. Katie gets mad about it. How could this happen to my roommate? She deserves better. Why would God allow that to happen to her? And Jenny, yeah, she's suffering with it. She's, she struggles with it. But in her affliction, she knows I have a platform to speak with a megaphone about where my joy comes from. So she trusts God. And Jenny gives Katie a front row seat to watch her faith in God blossom. She puts her hope in Christ above her temporal aspirations. And Katie realized that Jenny had something that she didn't have. The gospel of Jesus Christ that Katie had always heard about started to click because of the living testimony that she saw in her roommate. Death was at work in Jenny, but it wasn't for nothing because it was bringing life to Katie. Our weaknesses and crushing life events are a platform to highlight and display the power of God. They are a way for you to share your hope with a lost onlooker. How can you have peace and an inner sense of rest despite horrible circumstances? How can you not lose hope and joy even when you were going through a severe trial? You only have that if you look to the hope you have in the resurrection. And to believe that, and to, and to believe in the eternal unseen more than the present here and now that is temporal and fading away, that opens up a door to talk about the resurrection in eternity. See, part of using your trials is letting others in. If you're going through a hard time right now, it's okay to share it. When it's appropriate, share it with your kids. Share it, share it when it's appropriate with your coworkers. Of course, get the prayer and exhortation from your Christian friends, but don't ever forget that your story can speak life into someone who doesn't know Christ or even another Christian who is going to deal with the same thing one day. 
We are all jars of clay that can crack and break very easily. It's okay to be honest about that. But let people know what you're learning. Testify to how God is holding you together. You may have some scars, but those are visible reminders of healing. Share the gospel in the midst of your suffering. In confidence that while there is temporary affliction, you can still manifest the love and the grace of Jesus through it to everyone who's witnessing it. God has purpose through your pain. Worship team, you can come up. We're going to sing in a minute. But God is bigger than anything this life could throw at you. His love is greater than your sin. And his comfort is greater than your deepest sorrow. I know being in the middle of something that is perplexing and crushing, it's, it's brutal. Feeling forsaken, no one wants to go through that. But when Christians get angry at God for allowing some of these things to happen to them, they aren't thinking about the opportunity they have to manifest the life of Jesus, to shine his glory and be his light. There are multiple examples of this in our church right now. Many of you know the stories I'm talking about. Some of you may not have even realized you were doing what you were doing, giving life through affliction. I had a conversation with someone this morning. A couple years ago, they almost lost their faith, and they've had conversation after conversation recently helping people. But if you're angry and hurt at God, please stop giving him the blame for the effects of the fall. I know it's hard right now. Using the analogy, the, the ref just missed an obvious foul. That, that play call was horrible. Look ahead to the final score. What is seen is temporal. What is unseen is eternal. The curse of sin is present, but it won't be forever. Remember the cross and the resurrection. This morning, we are going to take the Lord's Supper. We are going to reflect on what Jesus did for us, the cross and the resurrection. This time of communion is to remember Jesus' sacrifice. The unleavened bread is a picture of his life that was sinless. The broken bread is picturing his body that he willingly laid down for us. And the juice is, is a picture of his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins. The Lord's Supper is for followers of Jesus Christ. And it's very clear. In the Last Supper, Jesus said to do this in remembrance of me. The apostles adopted this practice into the church. And there's a warning that comes with it in the letter of 1 Corinthians. Do not partake of the Lord's Supper if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if he, it even goes one step further. Don't do this if you are living in rebellion and you have unconfessed sin. So we want to give you a moment to reflect. Jesus was afflicted in every way and he was crushed so you wouldn't have to be. He was even forsaken by God when he bore the wrath for sin that you and I deserve. Jesus felt that separation so you wouldn't have to for three days. 
so you wouldn't have to be forsaken. But Jesus was never driven to despair. He was struck down, but his spirit was never destroyed. How did he do that? How did he do something like that? He looked past the present, what he could touch and see, and he looked to the eternal unseen. Hebrews tells us that he endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. He knew the best was yet to come. He knew that through his death would bring life. So at the end of the day, all of this comes down to don't lose heart by looking to Jesus Christ. Let's sing. And when this song is done, I'm going to give you further instructions. And we'll partake of this Lord's Supper together.